Hello and welcome to Talking HE, my name is Anthony Vassant. In this episode we speak to Professor Paul Ashwin, Professor of Higher Education and Educational Research at the University of Lancaster and Deputy Director of the Centre for Global Higher Education, a research partnership of 15 UK and international universities funded by the Economic and Social Research Council. We discuss how curricula in higher education can be designed to help students transform their understanding of themselves and the world around them. We also touch upon the balance between teaching and research, the role policy plays in the modern university, and three suggestions for vice-chancellors listening. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, so I'm Paul Ashwin. I'm a, a professor of higher education at Lancaster University. Um, I'm also head of the Department of Education Research, and I'm also a deputy dir- director of the ESRC and Research England funded um, Centre for Global Higher Education. Thank you for joining us on Talking HG. I wanted to begin by asking what can universities do to transform the education for students? Yeah, um, so, so clearly. One, one, one of the issues in, in kind of answering a question like that, or one of the dangers, is that you can be seen to imply that, that all education needs transforming. And that's certainly not my position. There's an awful lot of very good, very high quality higher education. So, so you know, th- you know that, that's the starting point. The quality of education across the sector is mixed. And to a certain extent, it, it always will be. Um, and importantly, um, in the kind of work I do, it's also important to be clear that institutional prestige and reputation don't tell you about the quality of education. So that's the other thing to say. In terms of things that will help to improve and you know perhaps transform the quality um, of education offered to students, my position would be that when we tend to try to work with the quality of education we quite often focus on individuals we ask them to um you know attend P- pg certs on um, pg tips you know do masters in education and develop themselves as individuals um and i think that actually if we want sustainable change we'd be far better focusing on curricula and collectively working together to look at the design of our programs um and in looking at the design of those programmes, really thinking about how our curricula are designed for the particular students who will study them, you know, who those students really are, not who they were 10 years ago, not who we wish they were, um, but actually who are the students studying our programme and how do we take account of that and what they know and their previous experiences um, to bring them into contact with knowledge that we know is powerful. And really having a sense of what we think the knowledge will do for those students and how it will help them to transform themselves and and transform the world through their engagement with their knowledge. And if we don't think that knowledge is important and powerful, then why is it part of our curriculum? Why is it 
that that happens to be part of our course. And for some people, that will be oh, because professional bodies insist it's there, certain standards insist it's there. But I still think there's choices about the ways in which we we meet those standards and the way in which we design our our programs in order to do that. And then the final element would be who do we think our students will become through engagement with that knowledge? What's it going to allow them to do in the world? And I think this is probably the aspect where for most universities, we're kind of less clear about what our students will do in the world after they graduate. We kind of have a sense of famous alumni who we used like to use in brochures and, and advertising. We have a general sense, you know, and to some extent we say, well, we don't want to set limits on what our graduates will do. So we're not going to say what we think they're going to end up doing. My view is that as educators, we need to have a sense of where this knowledge will take students and what it will allow them to do, not to set limits on what they can achieve. Clearly, there's loads of other things they might achieve, but where we think it will take them in the world. And so that sense of collectively reviewing and working on our curriculum, I think, is far more sustainable than developing individuals. It's more sustainable because it has a longer life as a curriculum than any individuals do. So, you know, if we develop individuals, they tend to leave, they tend to change roles or move to other institutions. Whereas if we can work collectively to develop transformative curriculum, then they have a legacy and they have a presence far beyond the individuals who work on them. That's really interesting. And I say that a lot to, to academics I've worked with over the years. How do you think institutions can create the enabling environment to do that kind of transformative curricular work so 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 for me that that's what i would position as the main form of academic development that we do you know i would say okay you know clearly when people enter teaching in higher education for the first time we need to do some work with them to help to support them through that process but then in terms of institutional development i would be really focusing on that and rather than kind, you know, what what we tend to do is we tend to develop bureaucratic answers to educational questions. And that generally involves the development mm -hmm. of a form. And one of my rough rules is that the moment you give academics a form, they stop thinking. And on all the time we set up things as universities that stop people thinking, we're doing the wrong kind of thing. So the more we can have an educational conversation that's a collective conversations between academics, students, employers, graduates, learning technologists, education developers about why we're educating in the way we are, the more that we're focusing on the things that kind of matter. Now, clearly, any, any initiative you develop like that will work for a few years and then it will become bureaucratic. So these approaches to change always have to change over time because once they become every day, they kind of lose their power. So, so we kind of have to have to recognise that. And clearly, as an institution, there's certain things that you will want to happen through those processes. My argument would be that they're far better expressed as principles. They're far better expressed expressed as saying, okay, review your curriculum design and show us how you meet these principles, because that encourages creativity, encourages people to do things in different ways. And we really use the creativity and imagination 
of our academic staff and professional services staff rather than stopping them thinking and trying to get them to do all, all the same things you know for an educative process you know education is always about bringing particular students into relation to to particular bodies of knowledge in a particular context and if any one of those three things changes if the students change if the knowledge change if the context change then effective ways of educating will change so the kind of nonsense of best practice or the nonsense of excellence doesn't help us to see that these things are always local they're always about particular students, particular forms of knowledge, particular contexts, and the way in which we can express that is through principles. So, you know, the work over kind of over 70 years of educational research in many different countries, looking at what, what does a high quality higher education look like, those principles are broadly the same, but what they look like for different students in different contexts and for different bodies of knowledge is different so so as an institution it's far better to think about the principles rather than getting into kind of best practice and trying to stipulate what the practices should be what we want to do is to show how is to ask programs to show how their educational practices align with important principles that have been discussed and agreed throughout the institution that's that's really uh, a powerful um, argument for this this approach how do we balance that need for good teaching with the other function of university which is research yeah so so again my kind of slightly um vague answer is that it kind of depends on the institution you're in the setting you're in um my, my the other thing for me is we partly balance it by focusing at focusing on knowledge you know that's for me as universities role in society they look after knowledge you know they're not the only people who look after knowledge but you know they're kind of distinctive in the way that that's their primary goal is to look after knowledge develop new knowledge through research say to students you know come come and engage with this knowledge see what it can do in your your lives say to their local communities look we've got knowledge here you can usefully use so for me that focus on knowledge brings together education and research you know so so trying to think about what we do with knowledge is the key how that divides between for example research and consultancy and, and different forms of of knowledge development will vary according to particular professions disciplines particular institutions but really being clear that it's the knowledge that we're really focused on and we're trying to make that as accessible to as many people as we can through impact through engagement through our edu you know the courses we offer then then we start to kind of get that joined up sense that this is all about knowledge and then how you know and what we want is for all of our teachers all of the people involved in education to have a living three-dimensional relationship with that knowledge that might be through research it might be through the scholarship of teaching and learning it might be work working out an industry and bringing that knowledge back in it can be in lots of different ways but you want them to have a living relationship with the knowledge that they're asking students to engage with because it's only in that way can they kind of be convincing when they show students what that knowledge can do in the world yes it can't be like the the books behind you in, on your shelf you know just sitting yeah. there as, as as knowledge um for people to 
come across maybe, but it needs to be brought out into okay. into practice. Definitely. And, and the thing is, you know, that kind of thing, there's, there's plenty of much richer, much more powerful organisations that can offer that version of higher education. You know, Pearson, Amazon, you know, they're all ready to kind of offer a version of higher education that isn't about that living relationship with knowledge. If universities are going to thrive in that situation, we need to play to our strengths. And our strengths are these living relationships with knowledge that we can invite students into. You know, that that's where our strengths lie. And I think, you know, as a sector, we really have to play to our strengths and recognise that those strengths give us power, but they also give us certain responsibilities that we have to live up to. What role does policy play in, in shaping the, the modern university? Well, it kind of, from my perspective, it, it kind of plays plays different kinds of roles so 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 there's kind of you know policies as as in actual texts of policies policies that lead to example for the creation of the office for students um but those policies are always refracted and and changed through through different ways of operating so if you look at the um text of the higher education research act that led to the development of the office for students the actual text in relation to office of students on um, the first priority listed is protecting the autonomy of um, higher education institutions. In the way that the office for students have interpreted their role, they've done it very much in terms of the interests of students. You know, my sense is that the office for students, the, the kind of autonomy of institutions is the beginning of a sen sentence. We know um, universities are autonomous institutions, but da, 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 da. you know, it's kind of like the beginning mm. of a um, turning down. So, so, so that's an example of how a particular policy text gets changed as it gets put into practice. You know, often policy is kind of shaped through the apparent threat that something might happen if universities don't do certain things that are expected of them. So there's that kind of sense that that it's not particularly the policy, it's the anticipation of what policy might come if certain things don't happen. Um, so, so, so for me, we probably slightly overestimate the, the impact of policy to, to some degree, because it's always a text that's always open to versions of reinterpretations and, and thinking through. Um, and in another way, my sense is that that universities have kind of been too keen to sign up to policies so 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 for example if we look at the employability agenda you know universities you know over over many years their, their position in relation to that has been a version of well if you give us the money we can do that and my sense is actually it'll be far more powerful to say, well, look, these are the things we do as universities. This is the education we can offer. There's some things that that that, that the policy is looking for that we can do really well. But actually, there's some other things that actually you might be better talking to FE colleges about. You might be be better talking to third sector um, organisations about. And actually, if if universities were kind of a bit more humble about what they can do and what they they can't do, and a bit clearer about the limits of what the kind of education and knowledge that student that the, the education and knowledge that universities develop 
you know, what its limits are, what it can do and what it can't do, I think the higher education sector would be far more convincing than this kind of, oh, well, if funding allows, then we can definitely do it. Well, actually, you know, there's some things, you know, you know, I'm a massive advocate and fan of higher education. It can do some amazing things. But I also started my career in further education. And what further education does is different. And kind of universities tend to be such noisy organisations that they want to dominate any conversation they're in, you know, you know, not always, but quite often if they work with local communities, it's about an act of largesse in which they they tell their local communities how lucky they are to have them, rather than being an equal partner in a conversation and accepting that we have some knowledge, but other people have other other forms of knowledge. So so for me, that discussion with policy would be far you know, you know, far far more equal if, if universities mm. recognise the limits of what they can do. And I can understand that part of the fear around that is 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 that you might not be in a good faith conversation, that what you say may be used against you. And and so there's a kind of there's a kind of hedging and, and not being straightforward because because you're worried. But actually, you know, we're disciplined by knowledge or we should be disciplined by the knowledge we engage, you know, that that, that we engage with in higher education and we need to accept the responsibility that that gives us in being stewards of that knowledge and setting limits on what we think that knowledge can do and can't do. Uh, we can't do everything everywhere all at once as, as the uh, Oscar winning, <laughs> multiple Oscar winning film goes. Um, it's Oscar day for those <laughs> listeners who are listening to this. I wanted to kind of end on this question of what would you say to senior leaders would be your what would be your three suggestions for senior leaders listening to this podcast today about higher education? Yeah, so I, I think my, my three things are gonna kind of sound naive. And and I think one of the things um that is important to be clear about is that I know they say they sound naive, and I'm saying them anyway because I think they're incredibly important. So so the first thing is that sense of recognizing the importance of knowledge um, in in all that we do and recognising that knowledge shapes where we are as higher education institutions, as universities, and that different forms of knowledge move us in different directions. So that's kind of the first kind of thing is, is to, you know, we're a knowledge-centred um, sector and we have to recognise the way in, in which um, that that commitment to knowledge shapes what we do and sets limits on what we do. Related to that is that you know we're also have remarkable autonomy as social institutions, and that autonomy brings us a real responsibility to say what we do with that autonomy, and to be really clear that 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 that, that autonomy gives us a responsibility to do things with and for society. So what are we doing with that autonomy? What use are we making as that of that autonomy? So that autonomy is the opening up of a conversation rather than a closing down. So rather than saying to, to communities and to policymakers, no, 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 we're autonomous and therefore we're not discussing that. Actually, autonomy is about the opening up of a conversation. Yes, we're autonomous. That gives us responsibilities and we're willing to discuss with you how we engage with those responsibilities. And then 
the further and final thing in my most, most naive comment, um, I w- you know, I'd bring them together and just say, you know, so an example of the things I think we've really got to address in higher education are the nonsense that we talk about higher education rankings. You know, so the reason that comes together for me is we're organisations committed to knowledge. We're looking after knowledge for society. We know that the purported knowledge offered by higher education rankings is nonsense. We know it doesn't really say anything meaningful. And yet, as universities, we celebrate our achievement in these rankings as if there's something meaningful. And I think that is a huge betrayal of our responsibility for looking after knowledge for society. It massively undermines our credibility in talking about things. If we say, oh, well, you know, we know they don't really say anything meaningful, but hey, they're here to stay. There's nothing about, nothing we can do about them. And therefore we've got to play the game. We're massively undermining the central role that knowledge plays in what, what we do because we're engaging with something we, we know to be untrue. And, and, and in the book you mentioned, Transforming University Education, a manifesto, I kind of use um, George Orwell's notion of um, doublethink to, you know, that he uses in 1984 to illustrate um, this kind of position that universities have university rankings. So doublethink is the power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them. And that's what universities do um, with the university rankings. And one of the things that was really interesting for me reading 1984 is that Orwell goes on to talk about doublethink, to say, to, to describe it in these terms, to tell deliberate lies while genuinely believing in them, to forget any fact that has become inconvenient, and then, when it becomes necessary again, to draw it back from oblivion for just so long as it is needed, to deny the existence of object reality and all the while take account of the objective reality which one denies. And for me, that's just what universities do with the university rankings. And it's a shame, you know, shame on us as a sector for doing this, because it's misleading students, it's misleading policymakers. We know that the university rankings, I'm talking particularly about university rankings that talk about the quality of education. We know that it doesn't tell us about the quality of education. There's plenty of research that says that, and yet we behave as if it does. And so that would be my my third, final, and as I've said, I'm aware of, incredibly naive thing to say to university leaders. Think again about university rankings. Stop using them. Stop celebrating your achievements in them because you know those achievements are meaningless. Thank you to Professor Paul Ashwin for his time. If you have any comments or queries about this episode or any of the other episodes, please tweet us at TalkingHEPod or email santanu at santanuvasant.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I've been Santanu Vasant and this has been Talking HE.